book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, I'll be reading Philippians 3 verses 1 through 6. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, inerrant word. Father, may we be true, deep lovers of Jesus that would therefore cause us to love passages like this. Because we, by your mercy, by the work of your Spirit in us, love the truth, the gospel. Deepen that work in us, your people. To the glory of your Son, to the safety of our souls and of this church and of your churches around the world. Amen. Paul begins second half of Philippians with, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. And that, if you've been following along, is not some trite saying. It is not a light, superficial statement. It comes from a man who is incarcerated in Rome, awaiting trial, writing to the church in the city of Philippi, which they themselves have much opposition and persecution, and also rejoice in the face of Paul's about to warn against and about false teachers infiltrating the churches. But he says, rejoice in the Lord. You're saved. You're saved. In the Lord, rejoice. And then he says, Philippians to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it is safe for you. It's about your safety, your eternal safety. When he says to write the same things again, he's not referring to chapters 1 and 2 of what he's already said. He's referring to what he is about to say. He is about to go negative. To, to the crucial work of pointing out false doctrine. Knowing who the false teachers are. In other words, when he says to write the same things again, at this point... He, we know that he has always taught them the gospel. And he's warned them about false twists on the gospel, particularly from a group of professing Christian 
Jews while he's been in Philippi. And now, a few years later, he writes this. It's no trouble to repeat this stuff to you. It's, a, it's important. It's safe for you, for your welfare, because it is at the core of our salvation, what the gospel is. And so, the things that are no trouble to write are at the core, look down at the page, verses 2 through 11. And this morning, we're only going to deal with verses 1 through 6. So, let's go to it. Here it is. This is what he's referring to. Verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Keep your eyes open. Beware. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Talking about the same people. Look out for the dogs is, yes, very harsh language. So, what's going on here? What, what, what is Paul referring to? So, what I want to do is take a few minutes, okay, and get a little historical backdrop that leads Paul to this point in his life to write those words. Because of his life and his ministry and him being entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. Jesus rises from the dead. The day of Pentecost happens. The church is born. The spirit falls in Jerusalem. It's all Jewish church. But remember, Jesus said to the apostles, it'll go from Jerusalem into Judea. And then even to non-Jews, the Samaritans. And then from there to the uttermost parts of of the earth, and we see that progress in the early church that Luke gives us in Acts. Peter's preaching in Cornelius' house, a Gentile, a non-Jew, and the Holy Spirit falls. And after that, on the road to Damascus, the apostle Paul is converted to Jesus. And he He's there for a while. He visits Jerusalem very briefly. He goes back home to Tarsus and Cilicia. He's there for a few years. And he ends up in the city of Antioch, way up north from Jerusalem in Syria, in that church as an elder, a leader, a pastor. And then he and Barnabas are sent on what we call Paul's first missionary journey way up north into the region of Galatia, where they plant a number of churches in a number of different cities during a two-and-a-half-year missions trip. And they finally, Paul finally goes back home to his starting place, the city of Antioch. Church. He's there for weeks or a couple months at this point. We don't know. And then this is what happens. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, the Christians, predominantly meaning the Gentile Christians here in Antioch, saying this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul and others with him, they go immediately to Jerusalem to confront this issue and force the leadership there, the apostles and the elders, John and Peter and James and other elders, force them to Speak up on this issue. They're coming from here. The church in Jerusalem. And they do agree with Paul and Barnabas that they got the gospel right when it comes to the Gentiles. So they return back to Antioch. And while in Antioch, again, we don't know how long. Could be a couple more months. He's in Antioch. And all of a sudden, word starts to filter into town Paul, a bunch of those Jewish Christian men with that doctrine 
have gone up into Galatia to the cities and they've infiltrated the churches. And they're telling them, yes, yes, Paul, he, he was right. He got a lot of this stuff right about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, he told you and he's correct. He died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. And you must have faith in him. But Paul left out a few other crucial aspects because he was kind of too seeker sensitive. He knew that would be really rough and hard to change your life in drastic ways, like your diet and eating only kosher, according to Leviticus. So he, he, he didn't want to make you run away from the gospel or something like that. But, but it is crucial. And, and men, you must get circumcised ceremonially etc. Because the reason is Jesus is the Savior, but He is the Savior for a unique people, a chosen people, a special people, the Jews. And so the good news is you can ultimately be saved. Yeah, faith in Jesus is important, but now you must go on and become Jewish. Culturally, ceremonially. If you don't, obviously, you can't be saved. Paul hears while he's in Antioch, that's what's happening. And he is livid. It is appropriate for Christians to get angry. There's a lot of inappropriate anger that we have, but there's appropriate anger. And therefore, what we get is Paul sits down and we get his most heated letter. It's in the New Testament. It's called Galatians. And the reason it's so heated and to the point is because this issue of whether any person can do or be in any way that would cause God to smile on you and thus give you grace in Jesus. That right there, anyone who implies that or blatantly teaches that, for Paul he knows it is a direct attack the gospel itself. The core of the gospel. Justification by faith alone. Apart from any works. And so he begins the body of that letter to the Galatians with these biting words. I am astonished that you were so quickly Deserting God, who called you in the grace of Christ, and you were turning to a different gospel. N not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Doctrine is life and death. Don't let anybody fool you. Paul writes this in Romans 9.32. And it actually applies to who he used to be before he was converted to Jesus. Israel, they pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. And they did not succeed. In reaching that law. Paul says, why not? How come? Answer, because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. Which of course it never was. That doctrine and totally missed it. And that's why he goes on to say, and they stumbled over Christ flat on their face. 
In other words, thinking that their acts of morality, of cultural and religious marks, look at me, look what I eat, look how I wash, look how I clean. To think that any of that is how you get God to give you grace. The, what Paul just said there, they, just like Paul did his whole life before his conversion to Jesus, they got it absolutely upside down. And therefore, the approach to God is not a little difference. It's an infinite chasm. And so now, after the Galatian letter and all that we just went through, let's go back to text. It is at least 10 years now down the road later. And he writes these words to the Philippians. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, this group of self-identified Christian men had probably, we're not sure yet, that they may not have even reached Philippi yet. Don't know. Maybe they did. We're not sure. Paul calls them dogs. Now, dogs in Jewish life was used, in one sense it was used, of those who do not practice Jewish cultural law-keeping. I mean, you see this in Jesus' ministry. When the Pharisees are upset and said, you hang out with sinners, I mean, they're Jews, technically, but not the way they live their life. They don't do it right. Now, dogs became a synonym for outside the covenant. Uh, in other words, being Gentiles, unholy, unclean. This is the culture. In Galatians 2.15... Paul recounts to them when he confronted the Apostle Peter. They're both Jews. And he said this to Peter publicly. Peter, you and I are Jews by nature and not Gentile sinners. Do you see the word sinner used there in a, a particular way? Gentile, you don't practice the laws. You're unclean. Jesus knew the culture. That's why he said to the Gentile woman who wanted her daughter healed, he's testing her, because Jesus doesn't buy into the culture. But that's why he said, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But even the dogs get to lick the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus goes, what faith? Go home, your daughter's well. That's the culture. Paul's point, though, here with the Philippians, what is so amazing is that he just turns the whole thing around. The reversal. Saying that it is these, Jew, we call them in history, Judaizers. These believers in Jesus, self-identified Christians who teach that when Gentiles come to faith, they must convert to Judaism in order to be saved. By calling them dogs, Paul is clearly implying they're the Gentiles. They're the ones outside the covenant blessings. Beware of the dogs. He also calls them evildoers because it's not just their belief. They are spreading evangelistically through the churches their teaching, their false doctrine. And he calls them mutilators. I mean, he could have just said, those of the circumcision party, Luke, Luke refers to it that way, they preach circumcision to the Gentiles, got to get circumcised. He doesn't. He, he, he's really harsh. They're mutilators. They want you circumcised, but they, just, they want you to butcher your flesh. And the reason he does it, because in verse 3, he's going to say, we, Gentile or Jew, we trust only in Christ because of the Spirit indwelling us. We're the true circumcision. They are just mutilators of the flesh. So beware. Keep an eye out for them. And then in verse 3, he tells them why. Why keep an eye out for these false teachers? For or because 
we are the circumcision. That is, those of us who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul here defines the true people of God as those who have been circumcised in the heart. Defined as Holy Spirit indwelling worship. Who's created the new life in us, new birth, saving faith in Christ. And defined as those who glory. In the way he uses glory here, essentially it's synonymous with who boast. Those who are true, they boast in Christ Jesus. The whole point is, unlike the false teachers I'm warning you about who boast in the flesh, boast in themselves, true believers put no confidence in their skin color, their culture they came from, their religious works. They put no confidence in any of that, in any human status or religiosity. And then Paul illustrates that sinful confidence that they're promoting and that he is coming against. He illustrates it in verses 4 to 6 by using his own pre-Christ life. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He goes through it. And I was born a Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life, according to Moses. Absolutely. Of the people of Israel. And of the twelve tribes, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not even just a Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jew. I'm a Hebrew reading Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, my particular theological persuasion is a Jew, very fundamentalist, a Pharisee. Oh, did I take it seriously? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as, as to righteousness under the law, As a Jew, as a Pharisee, he's saying, I was everything that these professing Christians are boasting in and trying to get you to boast in. I was all of that more than any of them ever were. They don't know the gospel. Yes, they preach Christ crucified for sin. Yes, they preach that he was raised from the dead, the testimony of many, but they don't know the gospel. Paul had previously been so much in line with this self-righteous, arrogant religion that he excelled in it. Over all other Pharisees, proved by his zeal. And his zeal manifested in his purpose, in energy, to imprison and kill any Jew who professed faith in Jesus. The great pursuit of the church. This is the way he says that same thing in Galatians 1. You don't turn, just listen to him. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. Because I was more extremely 
zealous for the traditions of my fathers. His Judaism is what led him to try to destroy the church. Why? Because the Jesus sect was a threat to everything Paul was about. As to the law, blameless. And the gospel said, and he knew it. He knew what they were saying. The gospel was saying to him, Paul, all of that stuff is for naught. And so he hated the gospel. And thus he was advancing in his Judaism, demonstrated by trying destroy it. That's the flow of what Paul's doing now to 1 to 6. Let me just try to repeat that in different words and get the, get the larger cap of how I'm understanding this text and if we're not clear yet. Paul is saying to the Philippians, look, even though this was true of me, that I trusted in my Jewish distinctives more than any other person, nevertheless, this is where he goes in verse 7. We'll be coming there in the weeks to come. Nevertheless, the gospel of Christ awakened me. I was circumcised in the heart by the Spirit. And thus what I did from then on was that I counted all of those religious righteousness acts that the Judaizers right now are trying to get you Gentiles to do. This is their doctrine. I, because of coming to Christ, counted all that stuff as loss, as trash, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own Obedience to the law. But only having the righteousness which is a gift from God put to my account in Christ Jesus. He's saying that the, the doctrine that I'm telling you to look out for these guys, they're going city to city. That doctrine of trusting in your works Gentile Christians are trying to get you to convert and become culturally Jewish as a Jesus believer so that you can say, hey, look at me, I am special. Therefore, I have the mark so that now the cross of Jesus will be for me, Jew, he says, it is no gospel at all. Because we are the true circumcision, meaning we forsake all else and we trust only in the foreign righteousness of another person, not our own, which is imputed to us in big huge lesson in what we're hearing here in every age of church history and that is this there is only one gospel one true gospel message when Paul says church keep your eyes open keep your ears open be ready for this. Look out. It means the gospel is crucial. Crucial to get it right. In the last 50 years of American evangelicalism, there has been a massive severing of the gospel from doing church and Christian experience. Oh, experience is utterly important. 
You must experience new birth. You must become a worshiper. All of that. But I don't mean a distinction between them. I mean a separation from the gospel. Or another way to say that is this. This huge separation from biblical doctrine. From being a Christian. The Christian experience. It, it can be summed up in many ways. We know the slogans. Christianity is not a religion. It's not doctrine. It's relationship. It's about sincerely having devout feelings in your religion. But the gospel is truth. And it's a truth with its boundaries of meaning. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is a proclamation of truth. Of historical truth and interpreted truth. Historical, Jesus of Nazareth did die on a cross and was raised from the dead. Interpreted through his apostles, which we have in the New Testament. What happened on the cross? What happened in the resurrection and what happens in the hearing of the gospel for those who are being saved and what does that look like? They're interpreting it. And a Christian is a person with a heart for that truth, which is being formed by that truth. So let's, let's hear. I want you to turn to Galatians for a moment. Just Galatians 1 and hear the seriousness of Paul. About not getting the gospel wrong. Start with verse 6. We'll read verse 6 through 9 slowly. He, Paul says to the Galatian churches, because the Judaizers, they're teaching this doctrine. That they're the dogs. They're the false circumcision. Galatians, I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Key words there. So quickly. Without even stopping to think. Think about it. Don't miss it. All these Christians in these different churches in Galatia were not saying to themselves nor to each other, hey, let's desert God. Sound good? That's not what they're doing. They're saying, okay, I guess so. Let's do this religious stuff so that God will be pleased with us. And we can make sure we are ultimately saved. That's what they're doing. And Paul says, you go with it. You're deserting God. It's a little like a number of pastors and evangelical leaders today preaching in America. Oh, by the accident of the skin color in which you're born, white, evangelical, Christian, you need to repent. You need to repent of your whiteness and of your white privilege, totally based upon the group that you were born into. And here's where, this is what, some of them are saying this, this is a gospel issue. Oh, I'm glad that you believe in Jesus as the Savior of your soul, but you're going to go on improving that your Christianity is disingenuous unless you confess and admit of the ongoing institutional systemic racism throughout this country defined by a foreign worldview called critical race. 
Paul says, 2,000 years ago to the Galatians, when you add to the gospel, you are renouncing the gospel. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Now, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. By definition, different gospels always say Jesus loves you. He saves. And then from there, twists come. Distortion comes. Don't ever fall for the idea that a concern for doctrine is just impersonal head stuff. If they follow through and do the teaching of these evildoers, Paul calls them. They will be deserting God. Read on. He says, but, but Galatians, even if we, I, Paul, and any of the apostles, or, or an angel, not a demon, not one sent from Satan, this is purely hypothetical here. If an angel from God came to you, and preached to you a gospel contrary to the one we already preached to you. Let him be anathema, damned. As we have said before, so I say again now, now this is not hypothetical, he means those men. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, anathema. Paul sees the preacher's authority as derived from the gospel, not the other way around. You can say to him, but Paul, they, they affirm the tenets of the faith that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah that was promised. That he died on a cross for our sins and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And you must have faith in him. Paul, they, they believe that. They hold to that. They're just saying, now, just add to your faith the right of circumcision, kosher diet, and the way you'll keep the Sabbath and do washings and cleansings and festivals. They're just adding to, to what they, but to the core, Paul. And Paul says, it's not a just adding. His point and their point is, it's the motivation behind those acts that they're preaching. And that is what attacks the gospel at its core. Justification. By faith alone, apart from any works of the law. When the gospel is slightly tweaked in order to satisfy human-centered pride, it is the most moral, monstrous, horrific, in the world. So what makes Galatians chapter 1 or what makes Philippians chapter 3 so sobering is that the different gospel was a close counterfeit of the real by men who self-identified as Christians. And Paul's clear in his writings. No one 
can go on rejecting justification by faith alone and be saved. It means doctrinal maturity growing in your knowledge of the gospel, the scripture. That's not a luxury. That's a must for Christians and churches. Christians are to be the kind of people for whom truth really matters. Look out for the dogs. For the false teachers. You can't do that if you don't know the truth. Any more than you can say there's a counterfeit $100 bill if you don't know what a real one is so well by touch and sight. And we live in a day of relativism where everything is being dumbed down. And over the last 50 years, it has entered the church through the seeker-sensitive movement of church growth, which... Its stated philosophy is, how can we please man? Truth matters. Paul knew, because he did, he is a unique person, like Moses and Jeremiah and Peter and John, Matthew. He's a unique person as a revelatory spokesperson. And particularly, he was given the goods how does this gospel go from the Jews to non-Jews? And what are the implications? What must they do? He had it. He's dead. And that authority that Paul had as an apostle of Jesus Christ, it is not passed down through him laying hands on Timothy's head and Timothy lays his hands on someone else. And I don't know, who's, who's the guy today? It's not passed down through persons. It's passed down through a book. Through his letters. Okay? That's huge. Because the meaning in a book or in any of Paul's letters, how do you get there? Simple. Read it. Carefully. And think through it. What is his intended meaning? And when we get to Paul's point, to Paul's meaning, that's God's meaning. And when we say, I want my heart to be changed by it. Okay, that's right. Because it doesn't stop at just knowing it stops at knowing for an ultimate goal of worship. That I may see you, be corrected by you, continually changed by you. I want my heart and my affections and my behavior changed by it. Truth in the Bible is God's means of salvation and sanctification. Now, one more main thing. Having said that, I think in the church world today, there are many, many who make no serious effort to understand the sentences in the paragraphs in the Bible. Say that, this is what that really means. In other words, no serious effort to grasp the meaning of sentences and paragraphs where God has chosen to reveal himself. For some, I think it's because they just don't care. Jesus isn't precious to them. So just set that aside. But for so many other genuine Christians who love Jesus, they want to grow in Christ, but they have developed some bad 
habits of reading the Bible, which causes really the words on the pages themselves to be really blurry, like I'm having a hard time understanding anything that's being said, instead of reading and seeing these crisp, clear, life-changing realities right there on the page. Now, this is, a show, this is, you know, I've been a Christian for 40 years and thinking about it and watching it. It's my opinion. I think one of the reasons for the blurriness of the Bible for so many Christians who want to love Jesus is because of what's been modeled to them from pastors, churches, preaching, teaching. Pastor, I do it. I'm accountable for that. Stand up there and say, open to this text. And they open the text. Scripture's authoritative. It's in our statement of faith. And then, as the preaching goes on week after week, you start to realize, this is what I think happens. Without thinking it through, they realize, like, wow. He sees a lot of vague, fuzzy, imprecise things and those kinds of large generalizations come out week after week. So evidently the text of scripture can't be sharp and cutting and refining and correcting thinking and behavior. In other words, there's been so much modeling through sermons of pastors and teachers turning to a text and it's as if as they were thinking through what should I say they, they, they waited for a feeling they waited for just a word to stand out and oh yeah we can talk about what, I, what my thoughts what I really think about fill it with a lot of stories that are easy to listen to jump almost immediately into current events and application without ever giving an honest, historical, grammatical interpretation of the passage. And what they say often has nothing to do with the text, really. But it's preached by the authority figure. And I think that's what I mean by modern, without people thinking about it. I take a class on how not to read the Bible or how to read the Bible. It's just that, oh, people sit in the pews. Look, I experienced this. And I, I remember just thinking, when I was a young Christian, I used to think, am I called? Man, part of me thought I did, but then I would listen to some of uh, teachers that I would listen to, and I realized, maybe I'm not called. Because... That is amazing. I mean, thousands would come to hear the people. But that's amazing that he got that out of that passage of Scripture. I never would have been able to do that. Of course, I realized later, no wonder he didn't teach the passage. It's not there. He had all kinds of things. He brought all kinds of junk into the passage. And I think by osmosis, people realize, and they feel without coming through, oh, they just realize, oh, whatever, I get, I'll read the Bible, and I don't know really how to get meaning like that guy does. And it's fuzzy. It becomes like a Ouija board. Still read the Bible here, and hopefully God will speak to me, like he does through that preaching, over here, what I really need to hear, instead of paying attention to the clauses, sentences, and paragraphs. And ultimately, that kind of thing is what ultimately causes the gospel to get lost and to plunge the church into the dark ages until God raises up people like Luther or Zwingli or Calvin and many others who turned the world upside down, but actually they didn't. It was really the Bible that turned the world upside down in the 1500s. Because those men went around 
tradition. They went around church structures and they went straight to Luke and Matthew and Paul and Peter to the grammar and the syntax of what has always been there on the pages of Scripture. And more than that, they translated the Bible into the vernacular of all the people's different languages throughout Europe so that they can finally read the Bible for themselves, which Christians could not do for hundreds and hundreds of years in Europe unless you graduated university and could read Latin. What I am talking about is not merely some cerebral game. This is the essence of humility to the Bible, to God's word. And ultimately, it is the only way to own up to the words of Paul in our text. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers spreading their doctrine, the false teachers. So over the next, I don't know how many, number of weeks, we're going to take with life and death seriousness the issue of true Christianity, the gospel of justification by faith alone. And we're going to do it with the purpose of bowing down to the Savior and being transformed by the truth this glorious gospel to one degree of glory in our lives to another. Let's pray as we are slowly going to turn now with this gospel and eat the Lord's Supper together. Father, you are good. Continue to cause us to be worshiping here this morning together over this wonderful table signifying the gospel of your son.